welcome to the Birth Activists podcast, hosted by me, Becky Scott, and fellow doula and activist, Samantha Gadsden. So hello everybody and welcome back to the Birth Activists podcast and I'm here with Sam as usual. Hi Sam. Hi Becky. Uh, today we have two lovely people with us, and that is Zafura and Pfizer, who are going to talk to us a little bit about a project that they have uh, started and are running. First of all, um, good evening, ladies. Hello. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us to, to come and talk about your project, which is the, the Raham Project. Um, would you like to just introduce yourselves and let the listeners know, you know, who you are and uh, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, you go first. Fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm uh, Pfizer. I'm Pfizer Rahman. Um, so, I live locally in Peterborough. I'm a mum of two young children, and um, I'm also a midwife. Um, and yeah, that's me in a very small nutshell. And we'll talk a bit more about how I link to the Raham project in a second. I think. Thanks, Pfizer. Zafira? Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Sephora. I'm also local to Peterborough. I'm a mum of four and I actually work as a chaplain for the prison service. And on the side, I also run uh, the Lantern Initiative, which is a grassroots community organisation um, working to educate and raise awareness of mental health issues, specifically in the Muslim community. Um, so, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Lovely, thank you so much. So, Pfizer, I know you because obviously we worked together uh, when yeah. you were a midwife at Northampton General, which was the yeah. first first time we met. So, yeah. um, that's obviously why um, you know your work has sort of come come into my um, social media, and I could see it all happening and thought, well, do you know what? Let's have a little chat about that because it looks really good. So, Pfizer, just want to tell us about sort of how this started and how, like you're saying, how you how it ties in that you're a midwife and that work ties into the project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, the Raham project was is a, like a group that's been set up initially that was just on Facebook, um, and it was a group for mothers and their partners, anyone from within an ethnic minority background. And it was essentially dedicated to anything related to pregnancy, um, and their birth and the post-birth period. And it links to Sephora because there was a real emphasis of improving maternal uh, mental well-being. For me, how I kind of got into, got into um, contact or got pushed into the direction of the Raham project uh, was very much my own personal experiences. So... Um, before even becoming a midwife, uh, being a young British Asian woman, um, you know, you grow up, uh, uh, you grow up with a different sort of lifestyle. Um, and it was always very obvious that I lived these two very different lifestyles. I had the Western Pfizer, and then I had the Pakistani Pfizer. Um, and that added with the fact that my mum very often spoke about her birth experiences and uh, my brother was born back home but her first child that was born in the UK where she was very much alone didn't speak very good English that kind of left a bit of a mark on me and I remember thinking no matter which mother I ever care for I'm going to make sure I go out of my way make sure that there's good communication there and that I just listen to them and um, over the years actually seeing experiences 
within healthcare settings uh, for women within ethnic minority communities made me realize I felt like there was a difference in how women were being treated. That kind of passion for wanting to give them a voice or giving, give them a better choice um, in pregnancy and birth and the post-birth period led me to wanting to do something about it. And on just a very fluke accident, I bumped into Sephora, a little toddler session where we, we chatted about birth and we kept saying we were going to speak about this, speak about this. Then fast forward three years later, we both have set up this platform together. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, Faisal, what you're saying there about obviously recognising, uh, you know, the disparity for ethnic minorities and particularly those that uh, whose language, first language is in English, you know, that's been confirmed, you know, recently, hasn't it, by the release of the Embrace uh, report? Yeah, absolutely. Communication barriers um, are a, a huge, I mean, communication is absolutely vital to providing people with good care. And I think that 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 basis of communication applies to every aspect of human life. You don't even have to be a healthcare professional. You can be anybody and everybody in communication is really, really key. And the issue is that the lack of communication with women from within these communities for many, many reasons, which we can discuss uh, about later, causes them to often end up with poorer health outcomes and for particular women they're more likely to have babies that pass away yeah absolutely so Zafira I can obviously we can sort of hear from what Pfizer's is saying as to you know why your role is important in that would you like to just expand on it a bit yeah, so um, just off the back of what Pfizer was saying, um, so through our work with the Lantern Initiative, we we would come across many, many women from the Muslim community who'd have stories to share about their own experiences. And, and although sometimes there were birth stories, a lot of it was to do with the treatment they received in hospital or, um, you know, um, how misunderstood they felt perhaps by their doctors or by their, you know, care providers. Um, and, you know, it sort of came off the back of that, really. You know, we just felt like you know this is something that's impacting on women's mental health in such a negative way that we really need to speak up about it and do something about it and I think mm-hmm. it's 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 very much been something that's kind of known it's you know people are very well aware of it but it's you know is enough work happening out there is enough being done to you know to change that to make an actual difference um, and you know we'd like to think that you know through the Rahman project, what we one thing one of our goals anyway is to um, hopefully to to make women feel more empowered, so that they they do feel they can stand up for themselves, be a bit more assertive, you know, make their needs and their views heard, have their wishes respected with regards to their births, etc. And in turn, what that does is that just improves their maternal mental well-being. You know, going down the line, they're less likely to suffer from postnatal depression or depression in the longer term if they've been looked after and they have felt more in control of their situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also one other thing that comes into that is is the, the language thing that Pfizer was, was mentioning. Um, between Pfizer and I, we speak, um, I think, three or four languages. And, you know, um, we do try to support the women that come our way so that we can interpret if necessary. We can kind of um, help women to understand you know um, how to make their needs, you know, and their and their their, view, their views heard properly, or what rights they have, for instance. Because sadly, it seems that even with the wealth of information we have out there, some of this information is not filtering down to communities at that level where it's needed in the languages that it's needed in. And and when we talk about languages, it's not necessarily just about the the spoken languages, but it's about mm-hmm. the sort of terminology we use and how 
how we explain things to women, whether it's done, you know, in a manner that, that women actually understand. And I think that is also something that we, we hear a lot of. So, yeah, definitely my, my involvement here is, is to kind of um, improve on the maternal, you know, mental health outcomes. Um, and, and we, yeah, we very much hope to do more work on that, you know, in terms of, you know, we, we'd love to run, you know, events and things as well to raise awareness of postnatal depression, etc. you know, run some workshops for women, um, run some well-being kind of sessions. Obviously, with the with the pandemic, everything's kind of um, come to a bit of a standstill yeah. and we're, we're a little bit stuck, but we've, we've been doing most of our work online. Um, so mm-hmm. we're trying mm-hmm. to make the most of it to make the best of it should yeah probably what you'll you'll uh, you know like the rest of us you know sam and i are doulas so we work in the birth world and you know you have to uh, adapt don't you to support these people when you're when you can't be face to face with them you have to to adapt how you provide that support and that information for them i guess it's yes. harder though for you when you've already got like is it harder i want to tell you it's harder but is it harder when you're working with harder to reach communities and communities where there are language barriers to work online is technology more of a barrier or are you still able to carry on i i yeah i think there have been pros and cons Mm. sorry Mm. Pfizer. (laughs) i I was going to say the same thing you go first and then i'll go next yeah I, i was just going to say that there are some families out there whereby actually being online perhaps might be easier for them mm. um, and they may be able to access uh, a workshop better if it was online and they could be at home with their baby or you know with the family etc and it's perhaps not as easy to get out um, so I guess we're probably also capturing a, a small percentage that we may not have if we had been doing the, the sort of live face-to-face workshops and things mm-hmm. um, but equally there will also be other people that would really prefer to, to actually come out and, and mm. to get out of the house and you know and and you know so it swings and roundabouts really I think yeah. mm. I'll, I'll if I could also add I also feel that women particularly from within South Asian communities they often choose to use particular platforms on social media so often um, there are a large group of say Pakistani women who will prefer to do um, whatsapp as opposed to facebook or instagram or twitter and you'll notice how there's a bit of a pattern of what type of um social media platforms they prefer to um use so i think mm-hmm. it's kind of being mindful of that i think also one uh, really big benefit of me and sephora starting this together is that we are like identifiable champions we are people that people can probably look at and relate to because we have probably lived similar kind of life experiences or we can understand life experiences without much of an explanation it's like an unsaid I hear you and I see you that makes sense absolutely yeah yeah, absolutely it is that whole you know it it wouldn't be quite as um, effective if uh, a white woman for example was delivering the workshops and and absolutely I do think that would be the case and actually if you look at the Royal College of Ops and Gynecology statement about um, racial disparities and looking into health inequalities um, it very much looks at people's biases and I think I think 
from what I had seen as a midwife on the shop floor, I have very, very often been told by people in their native tongues, you are the first person that smiled at me, Pfizer, or thank you so much for listening to me, or I didn't realise I could even say no to that. Nobody ever told me that, Pfizer. And often these are mothers that are getting very close to having their babies because I often work around the birth time with people. So it makes me wonder what's happening that they're not being able to express their views so openly. Who's not listening to them? Yeah. Mm. Do you find uh, that uh, healthcare professionals tend to put a certain group of women and people into brackets so they potentially could make a lot of assumptions about, for example, a Pakistani couple that walk through the door? I think um, so. Even if you read this Royal College of Hobbs and Guiney report that they that they put this like position statement forward, they looked into three key points. One was health disparities, one was racial bias, and one was medical research. They're the three things that they said that we should look further into. And with the racial bias, they found that often it's unconscious, yeah, um, and people are not fully aware that they are even doing it. So they call it implicit racial bias from medical yeah. staff. And I think this can happen from anybody of any color. And Absolutely. It's, it's, it's systemic, isn't it? And, it? and a lot of it is it runs through the training as well as, you know, the establishments. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the difficulty is there's a lot that's not, I think, reported very well from within our communities. So the thing is, we need more research. But to do research, people from these communities need to trust us to tell us what they're actually thinking and we need to actually listen to them and it's very easy to get into what I think has been happening for a long time which is that negative feedback cycle where these biases exist which lead to poor health outcomes people may not fully trust that they're going to be listened to there's that fear there that they're going to be perceived in a certain way so then they withhold information or they don't fully feel comfortable sharing information and then yeah. you continue in that negative kind of loop and actually, we're not solving anything. Um, but I do think racial bias affects anybody and everybody. I don't think it's necessarily white people have it towards, you know, coloured people. I think because we have lots of coloured healthcare professionals, it can yeah. be from anybody to anybody, I think. Mm. It's just good to spot check ourselves, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the statistics are there to say that obviously, you know, white women are less likely to, to die during childbirth. Like that's the statistics, aren't they? So, um, you know, like you say that, you know, people can be racially biased against each other, regardless of sort of race and colour. But, you know, the statistics are saying that actually it's not the white people that are suffering because of that. It's the, the, yeah. the Asian and other colour, other ethnic minorities that are the ones that are suffering. Yeah, Absolutely. and I think also the added value to all of all of this, what you know, what we're doing through the Raham project is that both Pfizer and I can probably identify with that experience where you go somewhere and somebody <laughs> sees you, somebody who's not from a, a black or an Asian minority ethnic um, background may see you, and immediately their sort of voice goes up and the, the volume goes up, almost as if they're they're kind of trying to make themselves heard better and kind of you know mm -hmm. try to uh, slow down what they're saying because they have automatically made the assumption that you don't speak English very well or that you don't understand <laughs> what you're saying and I think it's, it's 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 very much something if you can relate to it and it's happened to you and it's happened to me countless times I mean I don't know about yourself either but it happens to Absolutely. me still even today um yeah. you know and and my children are mixed race my, my my husband is white English and I still get spoken to like I I can't speak English very well so I think when I am advocating on the behalf of of other black or Asian minority ethnic women I I very much feel that I, I can approach it from a very 
um sort of very a very sort of a, a passionate kind of um place because mm-hmm. you know I feel very strongly about it and I and I know it happens and I know how much it happens and I know what it feels like yeah. and I think that that I, I think that can be very impactful when you're trying to um you know make a change in the communities where it matters and I think also for other women to be able to see that and to be able to relate to you and know mm-hmm. that you know what it feels like I think is is quite a it's quite a powerful thing Absolutely. Sam, were you wanting to say something? Well, I was going to say, and I'm no researcher, okay, so this is just my own individual thought, is that implicit bias and that implicit racism, every time we ignore, you know, every time somebody says, oh, the stillbirth rate is this after this, so let's just take maternal age or post-date or anything that ignores that the risk factor is of, of the colour of your skin is higher than a lot mm. of the other risk factors, that all of the, like most of our research would be fundamentally flawed unless it takes that into account, which is throwing resources potentially at the wrong place when it should be thrown at mm. this area or this area, but it's all just lumped in together. I've been thinking it for a while, just mm. that we, you know, we know about this statistic. The embrace statistic has been around now. It's, it's repeated, was it three years in a row? We've seen this stat yeah. come out yeah. and yet, we're still ignoring it or it's still being ignored within a lot of maternity services when they're talking about mm. risk factors and the same risk factors are being applied to everybody does mm. that make sense yeah it does absolutely and i think i think one of the things is um in order to make research like you said uh more reflective it needs to be more inclusive yeah. so it's really difficult to say what happens to uh, one group of women is going to happen to every single group of uh, yeah. women because we are genetically designed to birth absolutely but there are variants within our normal physiological processes and yeah. they are still normal variants but there are absolutely variants I think and I think it's good to identify those I think it's good to have a re it's good to have like a cultural understanding of um how these mothers, you know, choose to have their babies, why they choose to do that. Having a real understanding of that individual, you know, is really, really important. And that includes not just that that person. It involves, you know, the people that they hold dearly in their lives. So their partners, I mean, partners are absolutely forgotten in most communities, but within ethnic minority communities, they can be seen as non-existent, I feel, sometimes. Why do you think that is? I think I think our culture potentially has quite a bit to do with that. Would you agree, Sephora? Because men have only really for the Asian community. I mean, I'm married to an Asian man. Sephora is married to a white man. So it may, may be a bit different for you, Sephora. But within the Asian community, I'd say men being more involved in birth is still a relatively new thing for us. Yeah. It's very common with the particularly Asian communities to have your mother-in-law or your aunt or your sisters. So men can be put often on the back burner and birth and pregnancy and breasts and all of this kind of stuff isn't actually so openly discussed. And actually, when myself and Sephora have done any work with the Raham Project, we've been very mindful of how we... Um, produce information, how what pictures we have that are representing, uh, you know, certain images like skin to skin or breastfeeding because actually culturally it's not always appropriate to fully show somebody's breasts within our communities it yeah. wouldn't be that acceptable to be honest would you agree with that for us so I think it's really important that we're mindful of the fact that this is not going to necessarily work in our community so it's working with how they probably will want to see things 
Yes, absolutely. I, I would completely agree with everything you've said there, actually. And yeah, I, I guess it's the, the, what you're saying about the, the dads thing, you know, for, for men not to be so involved. I think it's it's I think it happens across all communities, doesn't it? And I think we, we do see that in, in other other. It's not just within the Asian community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think it's changing with the younger generations. Mm-hmm. I think that there are younger and younger dads that come in through the doors that actually to be there for the birth. And, and they've kind of been a bit more assertive and stood up to their parents or their in-laws or whatever and said well no actually this is my child and I'm going to be there for the birth and you know regardless <laughs> yeah. of what the cultural what, what their family traditions might be and I think that's that's really refreshing to see but yeah it, it's sad that you know even on our pages I think the engagement from dads I would say is far less than than it is from the mums and mm. I, I'd hope that that would change but I think what one of the things I'm doing out here is that sometimes the content we put out actually know who's it I think that there is tendency within the Asian community certainly to not like things or repost or share things because of who else might see that you engage with a certain post and yeah, then yeah. you know the, the the sort of taboo or the stigma around that specific topic so for instance it could be breastfeeding or it could be um, you know a, a birth or it could be about postnatal depression etc you know they may be you know privately kind of accessing the pages and, and reading the content that we post out there and, and benefiting from it but they may not want to show the rest of the world or want it to be seen that they've liked a post or, or shared a post or whatever um, so we also get that you know sometimes you know um, a, a good indicator is not necessarily how many likes you have on your page I think we're, we're very conscious of the fact that in the South Asian community certainly in the Muslim community in mm. Peterborough I think there are many 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 women who are just silently observing and we see this on yeah. some of the other whatsapp uh, sorry Facebook groups that we're on as well where Absolutely. women will privately message or send anonymous messages about um, their mental health problems or issues that they're having you know issues that might be you know quite normal for for most people to talk about um but they find them taboo enough and and sort of mm. embarrassing enough or shameful enough say, that they have to send an anonymous message um mm. so i think that's so part social, of our social work media well. is, is a big part of, of getting the message out there isn't it so do you find that that's been um you know a bit of a barrier for you being able to get the word out there about the project and being out you know being able to support those families I definitely feel if we could do things in person. So because myself and Sephora have only really been up and running for about six-ish months and we've had lots of engagement, but I definitely feel there will be a different um, a different type of information and a different type of comfort that we will have and also people coming to us will have when they can speak to us in person. Yeah. Um, and I, I think um, I'd be interested to see what that difference is. I, I am pretty certain people will feel more comfortable saying things in the privacy of seeing our faces, knowing we exist and knowing that they can trust us uh, than over social media. Would you agree, Sephora? I think so, yeah. And and also I think that p- people aren't necessarily going to open up straight away. I think it might be Absolutely. that we have to build up that rapport with them over a, a, you know, a, a period of time almost, you know, mm-hmm. a, a long period of time before they will finally feel you know comfortable enough to be able to open up and say, you know what, I'm feeling rubbish and I need help. I've been running online groups now for quite a long time um, and it is because your ramen project is quite new still isn't it mm-hmm. when people get familiar with your faces on social media you'll get more I get a lot of private messages from a very diverse group of women you know I get mm-hmm. a lot of different people who although they, they feel like they know me because I've been around on social media for a long time and I think Obviously, you've got your community barriers as well, but I think it will pick up as you just get more visible. And you are mm. quite visible because 
I knew about you not through Becky. I've, I've come mm. across your work, Pfizer's work, for quite a while on social media. Pfizer and I have been kind of knocking around in the same social media <laughs> circles for a while. So I oh, already knew nice who you were from outside of outside of Becky having worked with Pfizer. So your your work is getting out there. And you know, we did a we did a podcast with a lady called Laura who works a lot with refugee women last year as well. Okay. And she talked about the barriers of social media because she works a lot with refugee communities that don't necessarily have access to technology with all the sex mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So so for those people that um don't know the project would you like to just give us a, like a, a, a brief summary and of also what kind of support you're currently offering people Sephora you're going to do this far more eloquently than me <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that I'll, I'll try you might have to interject um okay. so at the moment obviously as Pfizer's mentioned we've only been going for about six months and we are very much trying to find our feet um what we're currently doing is uh running a Facebook support page um mm-hmm. which also has a, a, a private group attached to it so people are welcome to join the group so that they can you know so that things are a little bit more private um the the page itself covers everything um around pregnancy childbirth and um, perinatal mental health mental well-being um, and also we've we've had a lot of people actually uh, private messaging us um, that's something that we you know we, we, you know people message us and we'll provide support that way um, the other thing we're doing is providing uh, once a month listening session so, um, to come along in a zoom session online and to be able to talk about their birth experiences. Um, and we've found it to be quite successful because women often mm-hmm. want to just share, just to talk to somebody, just to yeah. offload um, mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. In, a, in a place where they're not going to be judged, where it's not going to go anywhere else. They can completely mm-hmm. be open and honest. And it's around, you know, it's in a safe space with women who will understand, you know, where they're coming from. Um, so those are the two kind of main things we're doing. Um, now, moving forward, we do have bigger plans. Obviously, we'd like to sort of branch out into doing um, podcasts as well. Um, we'd also like to do more sort of face-to-face work. So one thing we've talked about is, is doing a, a monthly drop-in session for mums and babies. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that would be very much so that we can build a relationship with, with the mm-hmm. community so that people kind of get to know us over the months and that they can build yeah. up that trust and that you know they can hopefully they know where to come to for some support. It's sad that that's not going to happen straight away but as soon as mm-hmm. you know that the sort of we get the go-ahead hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll start doing that we'll start planning those um i think at the moment that's all the support we offer um the facebook page itself has been i mean and, and i don't say this blow our trumpet or anything but i feel like it's been huge in that we've had a few of our posts have been shared uh hundreds and hundreds of kind of really um gone We've been inundated with messages from people thanking us for for putting a certain post out and how helpful they've found it and mm. videos that are making them cry that we posted. So I think it's 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 impactful. Um, yeah. We never yeah. really know who's seeing the messages and how how it might be helping them and supporting them. So yeah. we, we're very much going to be keep, keep the Facebook page going at the moment. That's the biggest mm-hmm. thing. And in yeah. addition to that, we've added on an Instagram page and a Twitter page as well, which are probably a little bit less sort of in, by way of traffic, but they're, they're, they're up and running as well. Absolutely. So I think that's everything. I don't know if I've missed out mm-hmm. anything, Liza. <laughs> I think um, one of the really key things, as well as, uh, you know, providing families with support and just a space if they want to access it, um, 
the other thing that we both often talk about is education, isn't it? We really want to educate and share more uh, relatable information within these communities. So I think one way of that is our posters and our videos. And I think as we move forward, education is going to be something that I, I feel like needs to be a big drive because I feel um, from my experience, a lot of people are very, very happy, this is regardless of ethnicity, but particularly women from very, you know, deprived areas from ethnic minority communities, they're even less likely to, you know, go and pay for certain services. So it's really important that the educational aspect is there and they're receiving, you know, solid information to make decisions on. And that way they're less likely to kind of jump onto a conveyor belt system and end up with lots of different things happen to them as opposed to they choose to have X, Y, Z or choose not to have it. Yeah, I think so true. education is something I really want to uh, move forward with because very, very often, and I'm sure for you hear this as well all the time from women within these communities, there's always that I didn't realise I had this choice I didn't know I could say no. I didn't know. Mm. I thought I had to just do what the doctor tells me to. And often, if you go back home to many, say, Pakistani mothers or Indian mothers or Bengali mothers, they they are nurtured in a way to do as they are told. This is obviously not everybody, but just as a general consensus, there is that theme. And so, actually, when you then come into, when you come into contact with healthcare professionals who you feel have more power over and know have more knowledge over something sometimes it's not always questioned and mm. it's absolutely really important that we do this because mothers who you know are pregnant have straightforward uncomplicated births ideally and have a healthy baby at the end of it are more likely to breastfeed there's less likely to be those glitches that occur of the poorer health outcomes for them or their babies and it's less likely to affect their mental well-being that being said it can still absolutely affect their mental well-being but it's really important that we bring it back down to the basics and I think this is something that's very often missed we get so drawn into all of these really big things that we need to do but we just forget to bring it all very back down to the basics mm. listen to what these women need and, and want and ensure that that's in place for them so I'm, listening sure to, I'm listening to you Pfizer I'm just thinking nodding my head here obviously uh, no one can <laughs> see me but um, nodding my head because these are all things that Sam and I um, constantly dealing with on a daily basis with white women and yeah. so you know and, and it's, it's so it's still a struggle for a lot of white women uh, and mm. birthing people to, to get their their choices respected and you know their views listened to so the fact that um, you know, it's difficult for, for the majority of um, women in the UK. The fact, you know, it's just going to make your life a lot more difficult, isn't it? Supporting mm -hmm. those, those underrepresented um, groups because, uh, you know, it's just going to be a lot harder. With language barriers and, and cultural barriers to make it even harder again. I found what you're saying really fascinating because it's something I've talked to Becky about before as well. I've noticed that my more diverse clients don't want to share their birth photography and I've never understood mm. why so mm. I've my, my Facebook page for example looks really white it's not necessarily because my client base has been but it's because mm. white women are much more happy to share and I've noticed this it's, it's quite mm. a clear pattern much happier to share their, their birth imagery and their breastfeeding mm. photos and photos yeah. of them co-sleeping in bed and and what you said really clarifies for me why I just understood suddenly something mm. I've been pondering for a while. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, yeah. I think, um, that's sort my... of quite not damaging maybe a bit of a maybe damaging um a bit of a barrier there for you know those women that uh want to breastfeed yet they're not mm -hmm. seeing um themselves represented in the mm -hmm. in the media in in those ways you know something yeah. me and Sephora were very recently talking about was this wasn't it when we first set up our page we struggled to find images of people that were really representative because you can get the really good photoshopped ones the yeah. very well acted out ones but let's be very honest I don't know many mothers that look like that straight after oh, having yeah. babies and no. so <laughs> this is something that I think a part of our plan is in the future we really would like to tap into that part of our community but if I'm very honest with you one of the pictures that are shared on our page the first one of um, a bump uh, of a lady wearing Salvar uh, uh, Pakistani clothing, the green ones, was actually my bump of my first pregnancy. Oh. And I have lots of images of myself um, when I was pregnant, including ones where my body, my bump is showing properly because I wanted to have a little bit of a photo shoot for myself. But it's culturally and religiously, I would not choose to share that on a community platform. And I yeah. know lots and lots of people wouldn't. And Islamically is very much a part of protecting my modesty. It's there for me and my husband and you know my my female companions but otherwise it doesn't need to be shared with the rest of the world and I think the way our communities work is also very different there's a lot of talking about things but in a different kind of way so people talk about the experiences you learn from it's like a learned behavior from listening to people's experiences when I had my children and I breastfed them I very openly fed in front of my female companions and they could see what I was doing. And sometimes I talk to them about, oh, look, this is how you put a baby on your breast because that's how they would learn. They'd watch and see like that. So communities from within these groups can often be more tight knit so they can use people within their own communities as sources of information, which is a fantastic support network. But sometimes you run into trouble when actually they do need more specific um, kind of, information um and i think that's the kind of trouble that we can sometimes run into within these communities because they they can face more complex mental health needs more complex medical needs and for that they need to feel comfortable to discuss it with their healthcare professionals mm. yeah. it's interesting that you brought up the the images Pfizer, because you know i, I was just going to say that when we first started out we approached um, several local organizations actually who work in mental health and also in the maternity services just to see what was out there already in terms of uh, black and brown women that we could use um, for posters and videos etc and very few of them actually got back to us um, um, to say that yes here you know here is a, a bank of images you can use there's nothing mm -hmm. there's absolutely nothing out there I think all in all I think I might have found I think two pictures of Asian women um, in mm. relation to pregnancy and childbirth messages um, and mental health I think there's even less than that mm. um, we even approached our local mind um, and they said exactly the same thing that they didn't have anything that they had access mm. to but they might be able to get us something through the national mind office and again that's something that's not really you know mm. uh, thrown up very much so what we've decided to do is we've embarked on a project where we're just developing our own set of posters and um, images um, our diverse community um, and then putting on there the messages that we think the community need to hear or that would be beneficial for them because I think there is this very very much this, this kind of you know message that you know if if I don't identify with the lady on that post and that message isn't really for me is yeah. it really speaking to me is mm. what she you know is what she is saying 
something that I can relate to or to do with my life or my baby or my pregnancy. And, and in actual fact, if, if the lady looks nothing like her, then how, you know, how, how is she, how impactful is that message going to be? So we're trying to sort of change that. And, and uh, I'm, I'm sure it's been done before. It's not rocket science, but you know, if there are images out there already, um, with pregnancy and on them. We, we can't find them. <laughs> so Give them to us, please. If I find any, I will throw them your way. <laughs> please do. <laughs> It is really difficult. I was trying to use Canva. I've got Canva Pro, so I've got access to thousands of images. And I've been trying to deliberately make my stuff more diverse to be more mm. inclusive. And because I mostly use Canva and I don't make enough money to be buying in images. Yeah. Um, mm. the Canva is really white. You know, it's something that yeah. I'm noticing more and more. I'm trying to make something. I'm trying to bring in photos and most of them are white. Yeah, the thing is that there are some black on there, but you know they're very, very staged, like you say, Pfizer, and they're very, yeah. very, um, you know, middle class. Let's mm, face yes. it, they're not very real, and they don't represent the majority of the UK. Yeah, no, and no. also, I think kind of we've been using Canva a bit, haven't we, Pfizer? And yeah, I, we I have, think yeah. when you when you search in something like. Um, black woman breastfeeding I mean just have a look at what comes up and it'll come up with loads and loads of white women wearing black clothes or sitting in a dark room it's just like do you, did, did, did the did the algorithm not understand black woman <laughs> you know it, I don't understand how we can be any clearer in what we're searching for so I think yeah with, with, with Canva I think it's We've, we've probably found all the images there are that we could use and we've probably exhausted that sort of that yeah, library that yeah. they have um but mm. we very much need to kind of widen our search so if anybody does know of anything please do get in touch <laughs> we'll <laughs> we'll definitely really pass those on I... if we find it <laughs> do, do yeah, either, think... would either of you like to talk about your own personal experiences you know as mothers having um children in the uk experience you know experiencing the maternity services i wouldn't mind sharing mine Although I always feel like, um, I feel like my experiences come from a bit of privilege and they're definitely not representative of what most women that look like me or are my age um, get. So with my uh, first baby, um, my son, um, I just have a home birth with him and I had a really lovely home birth with him. Um, he was my first baby and I felt absolutely elated after his birth. It was bloody hard work though. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it was amazing. And I had a lot of support from my family. Um, and actually the year after having him, I found that more intense. And I think it'd be really nice. And this is a perinatal mental wellbeing. We talk about this all the time. And this is something that I really want to at some point do give more information to our communities about those thoughts and feelings you have as a mother after you've given birth to your baby, um, you know, breaking down those myths that you have that after six to eight weeks, you're going to feel absolutely back to normal again, because yeah. you're not bloody going to feel like that. You've given birth to a whole human being. You're, you've got so many shifts happening in your mind and your body. And, and actually I, your, your normal state is completely different now because you are a different person once you become a mother. You're, you're completely absolutely. different to, to what you were before. Well, you know, um, I always say this, I read in a book once, scientifically, there is a door in your brain that opens only once you've given birth to your child. Yeah. And once yeah. that door has opened, it will never, ever shut again. So there is this part of me that now exists that was not here before I had my children. Yeah. And I think becoming familiar with that part has taken me quite a bit of time. It's taken me having another child. 
<laughs> and then realizing actually there were a lot more emotional changes that went with it so yeah my first birth was fantastic my second birth was also a very lovely birth um my second birth uh, was actually in hospital and by choice at that point of time because of what was happening with my health but I felt very empowered during my birth um I was very sad after I had my babies to see that just the lack of support that I felt I could obtain um when it came to raising my son and finding people who just got how say Asian families work because you know my children weren't sleeping at 7 p.m initially they weren't you know sleeping through the night they weren't doing traditional things it's very common within uh Pakistani within the Pakistani culture that children sleep a bit later their families sleep a bit later and they wake up a bit later in the day so all of that didn't really fit into what I expected because of my western culture so it would have been nice to maybe have people who I could speak to who just kind of got where life came from yeah. for me <laughs> um but yeah motherhood is just a different kettle of fish I guess when you're coming to it at it with from a point of view where you've had your midwifery training already because you know you were a midwife before you were a mother weren't you yeah yeah but you come into birth with a completely different perspective to a lot of women already yeah absolutely I, I came into it very bullshit like do not touch me unless I let you touch me and I'm gonna do this and I remember with my second baby actually when I went in um it took me about two hours. I sat on the toilet and I started contracting. And I'm thinking in my head, I need to make a decision about what I want to do. Do I want to go home or do I want to stay here? And my husband was uh, talking to me. Um, Faisal, do you want me to come in at all? Do you want any 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 support? I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to just figure out what I need to do. And actually, when I finally decided to stay, I went, I cleaned the pool myself. I filled it up myself. I didn't let anybody really do anything to me because I was like, look, I just need a safe bubble. Just let me just think. Mm. And once I stopped thinking, I gave birth within an hour, but that was my second baby. Um, <laughs> and it I like how you say once you stop thinking, because that's exactly what it is, isn't it? You turn that thinking brain off and then yeah. it happens. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think my experience as a midwife really surprised me. And I think one of my first conversations with Sephora, and I don't know if you remember this, Sephora, because this is how we started talking. And I remember you saying to me, Pfizer, we need to go on Salam Radio together. <laughs> was yes. I was talking to... Um, uh, my friend who uh, was teaching our children Arabic and she was potentially pregnant at that point of time or I was definitely pregnant with my second baby at that point of time and I was talking about inductions and you know they sometimes have a place but you know there's always side effects to everything that we do medically and we started talking about this uh, this Ricky Lake show about the conveyor belt of maternity care systems yeah. where there's sometimes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy and there's loads of science behind this. The more you do, the more side effects there are going to be. It's yeah. not, it's not side free, like it's not side effect free. And I remember before you saying to me, we really need to talk about this induction that you just said, you know, that you're more likely to have pain, you're more likely to have more pain, more likely you know, to like be... What's that, Sephora? No, I, I think you just cut out there and I started, I started okay. talking over you. Sorry. No, <laughs> Carry you on. Can go. I was just thinking how um, it was just that um, you're more likely to need pain relief. You then have more extensive pain relief. Extensive pain relief is absolutely fantastic for some mothers, but it still has side effects. Your babies can sometimes get into poorer positions. You're more likely to end up 
needed an instrumental birth, sometimes more likely to end up with a surgical uh, birth, a C-section. And all of these things play a big part in how women feel at the end of everything. Yeah. And I think if we remember that their feelings are the most important thing and we need to keep those intact, then I think we'd be more successful at providing better maternity care to people. Absolutely. Because there's, you know, it's almost like it's similar to the pandemic now is that, you know, the, the medical physical needs are being dealt with, but actually the, the emotion behind it and, and how people feel about things is often pushed aside, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. can be. So what were you going to say? No, I was just going to add actually a, a point, uh, something that I was thinking about while you were speaking. And, and I think it's it's just that, you know, in the, in the same way that not all white women have the same views or the same needs, um, it, it, I think it's very wrong for anybody to assume that all Pakistani women or all black women or all Indian women will have specific needs. And I think we're, mm. you know, we're not a monolith. We are, you know, we come from a whole a huge spectrum of, you know, you know, there are, there are different kind of um, upbringings, different tra- traditions. People come from different parts of Pakistan or different parts of India yeah. for instance you know and they'll, have, they'll very much have um, different ways of doing things so sometimes I think you know it, it's it's very easy for a healthcare professional to look at a woman and think right she's wearing a headscarf she is speaking this language she states that she needs halal food so immediately that comes with a load of assumptions about what her needs might be or what, yeah. what you know yeah. how her her pregnancy or sorry her, what how her birth might progress and and you know what she might need but actually unless that woman is asked what she wants and and given that space to express her own needs and her own feelings and be assertive um that's not going to be well understood so I think I think we have this tendency to box people up into you know mm. because someone is black she may have yeah. these needs and so let's treat her like a black woman but actually not all <laughs> black women are the same Absolutely. you know um, it's, and the same, same like, for every single other woman it's like the title name isn't it black and minority ethnic yeah. women and it only really looks at black and asian uh women not even yeah. white ethnic minority mothers and actually it is um it is very much lumping all all those women yeah. and there's so many of them with so many variations all under one label you mentioned there about asking the woman what what their needs are and that's something I um always have always talked about in terms of you know doula care supporting clients is that you know never assume what they need what they want because what you think they might need might not actually be be what they need at that time yes and Mm. so really really important that but what do you find though that some people um are uh don't want to ask that perhaps they feel that they're being disrespectful by asking Yes, I think there there mm. is very much. Yeah, people do think they're being disrespectful, and I think it just makes people very uncomfortable. I think we yeah. we're still mm-hmm. stuck in this in in this sort of time warp, I want to call it, where anything to do with race or color is is deemed as you know. Oh, I can't talk about that. It's yes. like the elephant in the room that nobody wants to address. You know, is, but if a woman yeah. is black, you can you can you know you can talk about it. You know, it's it's you can talk about a woman's culture or her needs or her language or her you know, mm-hmm. and it's not offensive at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and in actual fact, I think it can be quite problematic because. Just for instance, um, if a woman was to say to her um, um, her um, health visitor that, you know, I've just had a baby and I'm not going to go out for 40 days. So I'm not going to be accessing this, this and this. And I will let you know when I'm ready after my 40 day period is over. Now, that that mid that that um, health visitor could either go away, assuming that, OK, her family are 
making her do something that's quite archaic and background sort of backward and you know from their traditions and she's probably not very happy but you know unless you've actually got to know that woman and spent time with her and really kind of got to know her you know you you may not understand that this is something she's chosen for herself I mean (laughs) in fact I know families whereby um you know they don't want um their daughter or their daughter-in-law to stay in the house for 40 days but actually she's chosen to do that herself because people are very much going back to their sort of more ancient Mm. traditions and looking back Mm -hmm. into sort of ayurvedic medicines into natural healing and remedies and all of that Um, and not and not just um and not just um asian women either you know white and uh, british women are also you know choosing to stay at home and not go out and not have visitors for that first sort of initial postnatal period as well Mm -hmm. yeah but this so is it, I do, isn't I it? Think... I, I wonder how much, if, if, if a white woman was to say that, how would it be seen as, well, she's empowered and she's making up her own mind and look how assertive she's being. But if an Asian woman were to say exactly the same thing, how, how do we on the whole as society, how do we view that? If you're talking about t- turning down health visitor uh, visits, um, Sam and I would be able to take quite a lot on that because often yeah. <laughs> women are told that they're going to be referred to social services if they refuse um, yeah. health visitor visits. So uh, it is, it, it's very difficult situation, isn't it? Uh, from a healthcare um, perspective, if you're a practitioner, it's like, okay, it is it's it's systemic isn't it because they'll come up like you say to to an asian person or talk to a um someone from a minority and assume that they're either being forced to do that or it's a a, like a a a tradition which doesn't fit in with our our way of doing things and our guidelines um potentially they might think that as a safeguarding risk i i don't know but definitely from you know from a, a british white person's point of view that would be seen as almost like a rebellion and uh, a red flag for, you know. I think in my experience, I would say that if it was a woman from an ethnic minority, she would be assumed to be a victim of domestic violence or cultural abuse. And if it was mm. a white woman, she would be assumed to be suffering from postnatal depression. I think mm. the judgment, I think it would be seen as wrong based on yeah. experiences supporting women. It would be seen as wrong but it would be seen as wrong for different reasons. Yeah. One woman would probably be offered help for postnatal depression. One woman would probably be judged as if she was a victim of domestic or cultural violence, yeah? Yeah. Was actually, I think what you were um, saying, Zafira, about um, also about like the elephant in the room and not being able to ask questions is that a lot of uh, white people particularly, myself included, sometimes you don't know how to ask the questions. You don't know whether... You don't want to trip over your words and say the wrong thing, and you know, mm. get accused of being of being a racist or you know anything else. Um, yeah. But, you know, I've had some fantastic conversations. I've supported a couple of of Asian families, and um, absolutely love the conversations about religion and culture because I just find it fascinating. And not one of them has ever felt that I've been disrespectful. Um, you know, they're always more than happy to talk about their cultural. Mm. Uh, preferences and, and you know all, all the different traditions um personally I just think it's it's lovely to have such diversity and be able to talk to people about the different traditions and, and the diverse ways of life um, because yeah. you know there is such diverse um you know cultures in in England and Britain now mm, yeah. do you find that women from your cultures are more judged 
by like what I just said, would you say that you have similar views or similar experiences or not? I I definitely feel, and actually I went to a cultural sensitivity study day recently with um, these two midwives from Sheffield um, or up that way. And one of the case studies they used was actually of a, uh, a black refugee woman and um, she ended up having a baby that passed away. Um, and she was so grateful for all of her care. And actually when they uh, showed her her documentation of her notes from healthcare professionals and they showed her her account of what happened, her account was always very, I'm so grateful they're taking such good care of me. I wouldn't have got this back home. And I'm so lucky that they you know, are doing all of these checks on me and my baby. Whereas their account was very much, they built this picture of her being this black, angry woman who self-discharged because her husband came in the morning and essentially that they thought that's what the trigger was. But actually, when you read her account, she wanted to go home because her toddler had not slept all night and her husband couldn't get the child to sleep. And they were both stressed. And it was an 18-month-old. It wanted its mummy. And actually, I found that really interesting. It really actually stopped me in my tracks to realise, actually, even how you write things can come across as building a certain type of prejudgment towards people. And you you don't even realise it's being done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've I've supported a few women through social services investigations. And, yeah, even, you know, one inaccurate comment on somebody's notes and then nobody can trace back really where it came from. And, and that forms a judgment, regardless of whether or not it's accurate or not. Yeah. That's where communication comes, isn't it? And it's not just about how you talk to people, but it's how you record things as well. It's really important. Mm, absolutely. So actually, one of the things that came from the Embrace report, um, was some work that was done with Five Times More, which is a campaign for black mums. Yeah. And um, they they came up with um, six steps. I don't know if you've come across them, but have, yeah. it was advice for women and their families and also for healthcare professionals. <laughs> and for women, what they said was, try to do these six things to give yourself the most kind of uh, power in that situation one is to speak up uh, the other was to find an advocate um, the third was to seek a second opinion the fourth was to trust your gut feeling the fifth was to do research and the sixth was to document everything everything yourself as well as yeah. make sure everything's documented in your personal records yeah and I think they are six great steps that people from within ethnic minority communities can look at and use for their benefit. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've definitely come across five times more. I do follow their their account. It's, it's a very good campaign. Very, um, yeah. And then those yeah, six really. points... Sorry, I know Becky. Becky's about to start looking at the time in a second. I, I wanted to yeah. bring it up here. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, like I'd like to share those six points with the podcast when we share them as well that would be really useful. yeah i should i should do that i'll be able to find those not a problem i'm um i do follow that account so i know where to find those and we can share the link for um, everybody phaser and safira safira sorry can i say that again because i'm just falling over my own words becky you can edit that one <laughs> fine carry on the, some of the educational videos the Roman project is doing are 
aimed at birth professionals, midwives and birth workers as well. And I don't think that's been touched on. So I just wanted to mention that you've made some incredible good videos about challenging language and what's happening in maternity services yourself. And I think that that's really impactful because it's coming from people within the service. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. I think it's really important to understand this is a two-way street. In any relationship, there's always more than one party in it. Mm -hmm. And I think for this relationship to be successful, it needs to be looking at both, both aspects. And although with the Rahman Project, I'm very much Pfizer the mum hat, it is difficult to take that midwife out of me. I mean, we'll talk about this often, don't we, Sephora? <laughs> um, but I think um, it's important to look at both aspects because as much as mothers often want something, I know for a fact, lots and lots of healthcare professionals want to, want to achieve that because we don't go into this job wanting to make people's lives harder. Yeah. And so it's actually something in the system. It's not individual people. There's something in the system that needs to change, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up the, the podcast today, uh, Zafira, do you have anything that you'd like to add? Um, well, just, just to s sort of summarise, I wanted to say really, um, I think one important thing about Raham Project, um, which Faiz and I both agree on actually, is that we are very much about respecting and uh, being pro-choice. So very much being kind of um, supportive of any choices that women make. And we've, we've had a lot of conversations over the last few months about, you know, uh, uh, hospital birth versus home birth or uh, vaccinating, you know, flu vaccine versus not vaccinating. And, you know, we're not here to tell people what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing. We're just here to help them to seek the right information and then to kind of support them in whatever choice they make and I think that's yeah. how you really empower people not by sort of saying yeah. this is what I think you should do or this is what the guidelines say and that might be the best way forward but you know but actually we if we want to be if we truly want to be pro-choice we've got to give uh you know give women that space to really mm -hmm. make those choices and, and how do we do that without kind of putting words in their mouths or, or making them yeah. feel you know even subconsciously you may be pushing them into one direction or another and I think we're being quite careful not to do that are we Pfizer we're trying to yeah. very much be about um you know just being there to support you with whatever you decide it's your body it's your baby it's your health and we're yeah. here to just support you and I think that's, that's what the project is all about yeah definitely I definitely have to second that I think we're both very very keen keen about the choice aspect because we've had such a variation of mums with such different experiences come to us and actually you can't say one person's experience was more valued than anybody else's because it wasn't everybody's is very important and yeah I, I definitely second that. I think uh, that's why you know you were quite a, an easy choice for us to ask you to come on to the podcast because we are both pro-choice doulas and you know we're sitting here nodding away because we're agreeing with everything that you said uh, and you know it's, it's how we work as well. <laughs> Sam any last words my darling? Um, I just wanted to say thank you for coming I've, I've learned quite a lot by listening to you just from here and I already follow your page so <laughs> yeah thank you so much for coming and talking to us and if you ever want to come back especially when you get to in-person work because I really miss doing in-person work I used to yeah. run a free group every Friday um, and I do a lot online and it is different 
you know, we can reach more people. I'm reaching more people online now, but it is nice that face-to-face -face aspect. I'd love to speak to you when you're able to get that back up and running again. Yeah. Thank lovely. you so much for having us. Brilliant. Really you are more than welcome. Yeah, it's been really lovely having you both. Um, so that's all for today. We'll say goodbye to everybody and see you on the next podcast. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Thank Bye. you. Thank you for listening to the Birth Activists podcast. Until next time.